Well, I've gotten a lot of emails in the last three weeks, and again, they continue, of people reading 1 Thessalonians who've read through chapter 5. So let me give you a your assignment for this week. I want you to go back and read 1 Thessalonians three times. Just that's five chapters. Just read it through, read it through, read it through. If I could challenge you, read it in one sitting, like one reading, then read another sitting, read it another, just read it straight through and gather. And I'm getting several people are saying, Pastor, I'm picking up things I never saw before. Like, the, like all of a sudden there's extra words in there, you know, that you didn't quite comprehend. And that's what happens when you reread. A lot, of, a lot of the small stuff and the connections start to be made. Then you were also assigned in the next two or three weeks to be working on reading, uh, memorizing 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 22. We'll see if Ricky gets that done. Where's he at? We'll pat you on the back. All right, okay, if you can do that, all right. 1 Thessalonians 5, start with verse 14 and go through 22. They're really not hard. They're little teeny ver- little slotches of verses. Do the best you can. But I, I tell you what, I, it just makes my day. Three or four of those little emails come. I've read it through. Two or three families read it through completely, and I really appreciate that. Um, the Touches was the first family that wrote in. Um, what about by Wednesday or so you had it? It was early in the week, Thursday. It was early in the week, and they had already read through it uh, all those times. So I really appreciate um, them making that effort. But several others have uh, done similarly. So what's, repeat what your goal is. Go back and read the whole book one time, two times, three times. Just quick through it and work on memorizing the fifth chapter, starting with verse 14, See how far you can get to 22. All right, make it a goal, and uh, I hope it, I hope it's a blessing to you as you do that. And I, I know it is. If you read the Word of God, it's got to bless your heart. It's always going to be a blessing. Well, I was going to tell a little joke last week, and I forgot, so I'll tell this week. There was a guy that was uh, zipping through town on his motorcycle. He was in a real hurry. He's all dressed up in a hurry to go somewhere. And he was going right through town about 60 miles an hour through about a 20, 25 mile an hour. Policeman pulled him over and the guy said, fella, you're going, you, you almost ran over somebody. And the guy said, I'm in a hurry. Let me go. And the guy said, you know what? I think you just need to cool it. And you're just going to get in that motorcycle and, and take off again. I'm going to let you cool your heels in the jail for a couple hours. He said, so I got it. He said, I don't want to hear anything. You just called me, and he took him down, and he put him in jail, and guys arguing the whole time. I don't want to hear it. He said, you know, you, you, you just need to cool down. So a few hours later, the, the officer comes back, and he says, well, I think maybe you cooled down, and in the oh, next few minutes here, probably our chief of the police will be here, and I'm sure he, now that you're settled down, he probably won't be too hard on you because, you know, he's been at his daughter's wedding, and he's probably in a pretty good mood and everything. And the guy said, uh, I don't think you'll be in a very good mood. I'm the bridegroom. Sunday you get it later. First Thessalonians chapter four, please. As we've gone through First Thessalonians, we let's remember what Thessalonica is. It's this beautiful town on the Aegean Sea. It's one of the second and third churches started in Europe when Paul came across from Troas, the Macedonian vision, come over and help us. He went over and led Lydia, uh, the seller of purple to Christ. The church in Philippi was started. The church in Apollonia was started. Thessalonica then becomes his next, next town. Paul was kicked out of Philippi. Paul was kicked out of Apollonia And Paul eventually is going to be cast out of Thessalonica. But Paul said this as we started in the third chapter, even though I was ill-treated by those in Philippi, I have not lost my boldness in the gospel. And one of the things that I've been trying to stir up in our church and remind us, it doesn't make a difference what opposition we are against, whether it's opposition is somebody not wanting to hear the gospel, or right now in COVID time where we feel like there's a wet blanket on our opportunities, 
we need to be careful not to lose our boldness in the gospel. And Paul said, even though in Thessalonica I feel resistance, I still preach the gospel with a confidence and a boldness. And then he went on to say, I preach that with honesty and with truth, and I don't allow my gospel to be, to be hindered by any of that. As we ended the third chapter, he said, one of the things that I want to stir up among you is genuine love. Several, several years ago, as I've been reading through the New Testament, it just seemed like over and over again, it popped out to me how that Paul, in almost every book that he wrote, challenged the churches that you need to keep Christian love. And of course, we went back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it says, though I have the tongues and I speak with men, all the tongues of men and an angels and etc and I have not love and though I give my body to be burned and I have not love though I do all these things and I have not love he says it's worthless and you know it's possible that we could be the grumpiest rudest angriest saddest Christians in the world and it neutralizes the very work that we believe in with all of our heart we need to make sure that we're loving. And so we went back in 1 Corinthians 13. We read that love is always believing. Love is always true. Love is always believing what was right. Love never fails when you do it God's way. And we, we went through all those truths. Look at the end of chapter 3, verse 13 as a jumping point. To the end... He may establish your hearts unblameableness, unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So he said the very purpose of stirring up this idea of keeping a genuine love is he wanted to establish the church in holiness. Let me just stop for a moment. When I was a young boy, I can remember there used to be what was called the Holy Pentecostal Movement. And the Pentecostals, the holiness people, were known for their dresses to their ankles. They were known for their, their clothes down to here, hair down to their hips, no wear any makeup, all that kind of stuff. It was an outward holiness. God isn't so much always concerned about outward. God is first concerned about what's inward. If you have it inward, it'll come outward. Okay? You can't paint it outward to make it inward. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees were whited sepulchers. What is that image? It's a picture of a, of a coffin, a stone coffin, with dead men inside, but they were so beautifully painted with whitewash. Years ago, I got to go to Israel, went up on the, on, uh, the mountain just outside of Jerusalem, and as you look down the mount to the valley right before Jerusalem uh, before, is this beautiful hill, and it's all these coffins, and indeed, they're all painted white, every one of them. And do you know, I learned something. I learned that in every one of the coffins in Israel, they put a light. Did you know that? I was really surprised. They put a light in every one, an Israelite. I just want to see if you're paying attention this morning, okay? All right. Should we have a word of prayer, please? Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us this morning. We thank you for the good things that you do in our lives. And Father, this morning we are talking about a very thing that describes you, holiness. And Lord, how unworthy am I or any of us to really approach your throne or even approach to describe it? And yet, Lord, you've commanded us to live in a mindset of true holiness. I pray today that this would resonate in the hearts of the believers in this auditorium, that there would be a, a gravitation toward not a repulsion or a pull against or a denying of. And I ask that as I preach this morning, that I would be able to explain and exhort as if you were here. Lord, I... I ask that you circumcise the skin of our ears and that you remove the gross fat of our hearts and that you tenderize us toward the word of God. Father, sometimes as we come, we're so focused on some little issue 
that we can't hear the word of God. And I pray today that you would take that from any man or woman or teenager here that's distracted by silliness or sort of things that Satan has popped up for them and that they'd be able to see the word of God clear today. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Do you have your Bibles? Last night I was telling the teenagers, how many have a Bible? I would ask them to sort of hold up their Bible. Get your Bibles out. If you don't, there are Bibles in between every seat. It's been a while since I've said this. If you're new in our church and you honestly don't have a Bible, in the pews are Bibles located. You're welcome to take it home. We don't say that to the little kids. They take one home every Sunday, all right? But if you don't have a Bible, please take it home. They don't do any good sinning here all week, but they do good when you take them home and read it. And I hope when you come to church, whether it's an electronic Bible, I prefer a paper Bible, but I, whether you have an electronic or a good old-fashioned paper Bible, get it open this morning. Don't just let yourself sit back and just sort of be an observer. Be a participator in the message. So open it up to 1 Thessalonians. Now we're in that fourth chapter. We're in verse 1. Furthermore, Paul's going to build on this idea of holiness, unblameable in holiness. Furthermore, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Let's just stop here. In your Bible, if you mark at the end, in the middle of verse 1, I want you to mark the word by, B-Y, by the Lord Jesus. In verse 2, Toward the end of the verse, it says, by the Lord Jesus. Circle the word by, maybe underline the idea, by the Lord Jesus. It's there two times. One in verse 1, one in verse 2. Circle the word by, underline the phrase. Circle the word by, underline the phrase. What is that indicating? That's indicating Paul's authority for what he's preaching. There are times when Paul is preaching, he said, I say this, I think I have the mind of God. And we know through inspiration he does. But here we find a very strong appeal to his authority for what he's going to say about holiness. I say this by the Lord Jesus Christ. The first one when he says by the Lord Jesus Christ is the word E-N in scripture, I-N. I say this in God's authority. Because we are in Christ, this ought to be true. Are you in Christ this morning? Then in Christ, this applies to you. The second time the word by is translated, there is a different word. It's the word dia. It's because the Lord Jesus said it, okay? Because I'm in him and because he has directed us, this is the idea. I say this by the Lord Jesus because we're in him and because he has directed this issue to be brought up. Often, when somebody comes to me or you and they tell us to do something that's quite extraordinary, we might say, and by what authority do you say that? Or who told you to tell me that? Or what do you think you are that you're at? What, why are you, what permission do you have to boss me around? Paul says, by the Lord Jesus Christ. See, some of the things we're going to read in these next few verses are pretty strong about our personal life about holiness. By what authority do you have to talk to us, Paul, like that, Pastor Butts? What authority do you have? By the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are in Christ, genuinely so, this should not be something that we resist in our soul. It ought to be a no-brainer. It ought to be something that we lean into, and we say it through the confirmation of the Lord saying to Paul, write it, do it, command it, teach it. So with that in mind, let's look at it closer. Verse 1, furthermore, then we beseech you, you know, it's brethren. We don't ask this of unsaved people. You go to work and you're around people that don't even pretend to be in Jesus Christ. They are not going to live necessarily a holy life. Amen? 
I mean, they're going to be talking about wicked, getting drunk on the weekend, and, you know, all the different things they, uh, they can get, and getting ahead, stepping on each other to get up higher. They aren't thinking of love and of Christ-likeness and holiness. But we are brethren. We are brethren. When I was a teenager, I went to a public school. And I can remember as I got to be a junior and senior in high school, and the kids got to have more freedom to get their license and getting a chance to go out on the weekends away from their parents. And I can remember hearing the talk of what they would look at a weekend. Hey, we're going to go down and get a six-pack, and we're going to go out in the orchard somewhere, and we're going to have a campfire and blow our brains out with beer and you know, rock music and all that kind of stuff. That was their goal for the weekend. I didn't expect them to talk holiness. They weren't Christians. That's not what the world does. But we are brethren. And as brethren, it ought to be our nature. It ought to be our righteous heart to desire the holiness of God. So he says, brethren, I exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ that as ye have received of us. That word received is stronger than just the word received by itself. It has a little extra preposition stuck on the front of it. It means to receive and draw it near. You know, there are things that sometimes you hear and you don't absorb. Do you know what I mean? Like you're hearing somebody saying, oh, I don't care about that. You've received it. You've heard it. You know it's true, but you didn't bring it near. Paul is saying here, these things, when I taught and exhorted you, you received them near. What does that mean? You acknowledged it was true. You know, I look at our church out here this morning, and I would say generally as I look around this crowd, we would say when we talk about Christ-likeness, living godly, we have received near that truth. We would say, that's right, Pastor, right. A Christian ought to be holy. They ought to do what's right. And we receive near that truth is something that I probably ought to be conforming my life and transforming my mind. I receive that near. So plug that in. He says, brethren, I've exhorted you by the Lord Jesus Christ that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and please God so you would abound more and more. Look what he says there, that you receive, first of all, how you ought to walk. The how is, how does it look to be holy? I wasn't saved yesterday, but now I'm saved. What does it mean to be holy? Well, this is what it means. This is, these are the scriptures, and this is, I, you've received the directions, the instruction of what is holy. When I grew up as a Christian, I did not grow up in a Christian home. And in my home, uh, I'm, I'm talking 50 years ago, churches talked about you don't dance, you don't go to movies, you don't play cards, you don't gamble, you don't lottery. I mean, it's just right down the list. That's how you walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. It has implications. You feel in, we might have a little different way we would describe it today, but I, I thought, everybody plays cards and gambles. All my friend, all my, all my family did. I mean, they'd get together and they'd all get out the cards and they'd, they'd throw, you know, I've got a pair of, the, I knew, I mean, at six or seven years old, I knew all the different things of, of, of you know, how to gamble and, and to bet and do all that. And I found out that wasn't right for Christians to be doing that. And I found out that Christians don't run down to the movie theater. Yeah, I still don't understand why Christians run down the movie theater and walk in when it says R-rated. I don't understand that. I mean, I, I could preach on that all. That's wrong. Why are you going to X-rated and R-rated and filthy? You know, it's okay for a 17-year-old to read, but now you're 16, you can't. Why, just because you came 17, it's all, all of a sudden righteous? I'm sort of preaching at you today, okay? So this is... How you walk in holiness. You go through your life and you look at the dirty stuff and the grunchy stuff and the garbage stuff and, and the stuff that isn't right. And Paul says, you have received near this truth. And you said, okay, Paul, we understand. It's nothing new about this to you. And I would say to most of this crowd this morning, we know somewhat pretty good how we should walk. Would you say Amen. I mean, I probably would have a hard time really getting nitpicky. You'd say, Pastor, you're pretty much right. 
We shouldn't be doing that on the internet. We shouldn't be going to this place and we shouldn't be dressing like that. We shouldn't have music. Could you say amen? We've received this near. How you ought to walk. That word ought to walk is the word that can be translated and often is translated this way. How it is necessary that you walk. Ought gives me the idea like I have an option. Doesn't that sound like, oh, this is how you, it would be good if you did that. You ought to walk that way. But you know, if you're a Christian, it's necessary that holiness dictates a path in my life. Ooh. If I say I love the Lord Jesus and I'm on his side and I want to be holy and I'm walking this way, holiness says it's necessary I should walk this way. That my life ought to be conforming to his image, that my holy God can't smile, and it's necessary that I change some things in my life. Can I hear amen? You've received near how you ought to walk. And the word walk there is just really an idea of how we live. The word walk there is the word peripateo, which means to walk around in your life. You know, we don't, well, I started to say, we don't just live in our houses. Yes, we do recently, but uh, we all walk around. You go to restaurants, you go to work, you go to school, and as you walk around, it is necessary that we walk a certain way if we say we love the Lord Jesus. Christians don't swear and cuss and take Jesus' name in vain. Christians don't tell dirty stories. Or do they? Or do they? He says, you've received this truth, and, and obviously the Thessalonians at some point had grown in holiness. There was some growth. But look what he says at the end of that verse a little closer. So you would abound, what? Less and less? What does the word abound mean? The word abound is the word, it has the idea of of an overflowing. We aren't supposed to do the minimum in our holiness. We are to what? Could you help me? Abound. How much? More and more. What's the implication? And more and more, and more, and more. Now, just because I have outward standards, does that make me holy inside? No. Where does it start? It starts right in here. So, let's look at it a little closer, please. Brethren, exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ that as ye have received near of us how you ought to walk and to please God. Oh, I left that phrase out. My life isn't about pleasing Richard Butts. He said, well, I thought my life was my life. Yes, but I gave my life to Christ. Listen, would you turn with me a moment to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, okay? The idea is, I was dead, but now I'm alive in Jesus. Amen? If ye then be risen with Christ, what should we now do? Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Verse 3 is what I want you to see. For ye are what? Dead. If I'm dead, it's not about what I want. It's about what he wants. I'm dead in myself. I'm alive in Christ. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall he appear with him in glory. My life is not about Richard Butts. My life is about Jesus. 
So as I walk around in my life, I've received near how is necessary for me as a Christ-loved one, a Christ-like person, as a Christian, how he ought to walk and how he ought to please God and to please God. Oh, I tell you, that ought to be the goal, the greatest thing. When we talk about the rewards in eternity, oh, I'm going to get a crown. Oh, there's a crown. There'll be jewels in my crown. Do you know what? There's something greater than all that. You know what it is? Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. I've heard all kinds of stories about people that they were a tremendous virtuoso. He was a person that's on the piano or a singer, and they're working their way up through, and finally they come to a great performance, and, and, uh, and, and this guy gets up at the end of it, and he does it, and the crowd's clapping, and you'd think he'd just be eating it all in, but instead he turns his eyes maybe somewhere on the balcony, and there is the guy that taught him everything, his master, and he's waiting for him to stand and go, That's sort of the way it is with the Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We often think of it in relationship to winning souls, but in here, could it not be well done and pleasing God in a walked around life that was holy? Well done. You have lived like my heart wanted you to live. And you put your life into it and, and you changed your life into a Christ life and you went from being this garbage pit to a beautiful chandelier in the lobby and the light of Christ just came out of you. This is what it's about. Look at verse 2. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. That word ye know is the idea of knowing with a perfect knowledge. Have you ever said to your children, mom or dad, the kid came back and they said, why, you got in trouble. And they said, why did you do such and such? Well, you didn't tell me. And you say something like this, you know. What does that mean? You've instructed them clearly in principles and truths and all the rest. You didn't have to say exactly, don't put your foot there. They knew they didn't belong in the room. And you say, you had perfect knowledge of what was right. That's the idea. You knew. You know, Christians, I've said from this pulpit, I say it quite often, it's not what we don't know about in our lives that gets us in trouble most of the time. It's what we know and we won't do. Do you see Paul said here, you have received near from us how you ought to walk in your Christian life. And you know that you've been instructed in these things. And, you've been, and you know these things. But you're not doing them. For you know what commandments. And that word commandments is the idea, you know what exhortations I've given you. I've sat down and I've explained it to you. And parents, can't you think of that with your child? We've told you this time and we've told you this time. And, we, and you had, you know. And yet you did. Look at verse 3. Now we're going to start digging in. Get more specific Got your steel toes on this, or shoes on this morning? Okay. You know why you have steel-toed shoes? They do them at work. That's why when something drops on it, it doesn't break your toes. We're going to step into some definite areas this morning. Okay. Look at verse 3. For this is the will of God. Wait a minute. The number one question asked of me and my ministry started way back when I was a youth pastor. Pastor Butts, what is the will of God? Now, it may say, what is the will of God? Or I should go to school. Should I do this? Should I not do that? And often I'll have to give a principle. I can honestly say in this verse, God directly says to you and me, this is his direct will. Is that pretty strong? Would you say amen? This is the will of God. And let's see what it is even your sanctification. Do you know what the word sanctification there? We often think of 
about a sanctuary. It's set aside. Somebody comes in the auditorium, they say, don't run in the sanctuary because that's where we worship the Lord and we want to slow down. It's, it's a special set aside. If we have an animal sanctuary, then we don't want any civilization building buildings out there. It's a place that's set aside. God says that we are to live our life in sanctification. It's supposed to be set aside from sin in the world. And it's supposed to be set aside unto God. Another word that could be translated besides set aside is the idea of it's been purified. That we've gone through... The God's will in our life is that we purify our life from the world and sin. And Christians, that's a continuing process. I don't know if you're a person that takes a shower before you go to bed or when you get up. I take my shower when I get up. A lot of people like to take their shower so they don't get their bed dirty. You do it like you want, okay? All right. But I'm a person, I jump in the shower. I like getting clean to come out the day, makes me awake, you know, type of thing. So now I'm heading out in life, and I run through the day, and I work hard. And by the time I come home, I'm stinky and dirty. And I didn't say dirt jump on me. All right, here comes some nasty garbage. Oh, good, jump right there. All right, all right. Okay, my hair, oh, it's good. Oh, oh I'm gray. It just jumps on it. Did you notice that? When you're a little kid, you try to avoid the bath every, what, once a week? You say, you know what? You need to get in the bathtub a little more often. That dirt's just on you. I'm not that dirty. Yes, you are. And then when they turn about 12 and their hormones are kicking in, they start to sweat, and they say, I'm not that dirty. You may not, but you sure stink. And that's all the deodorant and all the rest. And you say, we need to purify you. We need to purify you. We, we understand that. In our Christian life, we stink. We get dirty. We walk around in life, and stuff just comes. I remember when I first came to Houston, and there used to be on the north side of town a whole bunch of of, um, places that were massage parlors. Now, a massage parlor might sound good. My wife likes to get massage. She likes to get her toenails done and her hair done and all that. But we're not talking about that kind of massage parlor. We're talking a place that men go in and that they have affairs with women and they touch them in ways they shouldn't. We all know we're talking about massage parlors. And I can remember everywhere you went, you'd see these massage parlor uh, uh, signs. And I tell you, it would be really easy. You go down the road and here's a pretty naked woman up on the sign and all the, and it just seemed like everywhere I get up and I'm trying to keep my mind clean. I'm going down the road and there it is. That's just sort of an outward, that's the way life is. I'm just walking down, minding my own business, and sin just goes, and it just comes our way. Turn on the radio. Oh, I'm not trying to listen. Oh, boy. Oh, that's my favorite oldie. There it goes. Just so easy. God's will is our purification. God wants us to stay clean. Ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. That's why it's important to have devotions. If there's no other reason to have devotions and grow in the Lord, it would be that it cleans me. I can remember somebody talking to me about the first time about how a Bible reading works. You know, sometimes when you read the Bible, you'll say, Pastor, I don't remember everything I read, neither do I. I wish I had a mind like that. But a mind, a reading your Bible is a little bit like taking a shower. When you take a shower, do you hold on to the 100 gallons of water all day like that and walk around? What's the purpose of the, wa- of the water? It flows down over you and takes the dirt right past you, right down your legs, and right down, the, right down the drain, and it did its job. And there may be a little bit left on you, and you're thinking on the word of God as you like, but it, it brought me back. It just sort of purified me. It sanctified me. It got me back on track. It's sort of like you hearing Pastor Butch preach this morning. It's sanctifying in our heart. Amen? It's purifying. It reminds us. I know pastors around. Boy, I've just gotten lazy. I needed a good spiritual message. I needed the pastor to preach on that because I just, just need to get a scrub brush. It's sort of like my grandmother giving me a bath. You ever gotten a bath by your grandmother? 
I remember I was four or five years old. I'd go over to her house, spend the night. Oh, I tell you, in the wintertime, she had those old sheets, and they didn't used to have them where they were wrinkle-free. So she would put them on the line. She'd bring them in, and she'd iron the sheets. Wasn't that a waste of time? She'd waste all, she'd iron those old sheets out, and then she'd throw them on, and she'd slip you between them. Oh. That was great. I mean, just as I could toast or pop open. I mean, you just, you just slide right in there. But before that was a bath. And she'd take you down, and she'd give you the first round. And she'd say, are you done? And she'd look at, you're not done. And then she had this nail brush type thing. You, you know, you put your fingers, and it's got bristles on it like that. And she'd go, let me get behind your ears. And I'd swear she was going to brush those things off till they were bleeding. She said, let me look behind you. You're not clean until you're clean there. Well, I can't even see it. Well, you're not clean. <laughs> and it starts bleeding there. I mean, she's going at it over and over and over and over again. Now ye are clean through the word. Aren't you glad that the Lord, that's sort of the preaching. is. That's the preacher taking the brush. And he's just saying, you know what? You had your chance all week, Jez. Now it's my turn. Turn the ears. Ah, we're going to clean you up a little bit. Let me see your elbows. That's what the preaching of the word does. It comes along and it goes after those things, those calluses and those deep things in your life. So he says this, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. And oh me, there's a big area. That word abstain is the idea that I hold myself back and I refrain. And the word fornication is the word you can understand it. I'll give you the Greek word, and it is exactly translated in English like it sounds in Greek, pornea. Do I have to translate pornea for you? It's translated evil. That we would abstain, and here it's talking about sexual evil, fornication. The word abstain is I have the choice in my body to go down this direction, but it is necessary for holiness that I abstain, that I choose not to uh, go that direction, but I abstain from pornea. And I tell you, if there's a thing in America right now in this last generation that's destroyed the conscience, the heart, the cleanness, the purity of preachers and deacons and Sunday school teachers and good teenagers and godly uh, church members, this idea of the porn rush upon the internet has been like a wave of sewage into the hearts of mankind. Can I hear an old me? I'm not talking to you about something that you're naive of. So, well, Pastor, there are maybe some younger ears in here. I tell you what, they probably know a lot more than you would ever dream. A lot more than what you would dream. When I was a young boy, it wasn't until I got to college I'd even heard of some things, even, even heard it. And I'll hear seven-year-olds talk about it. I have people come from a public sector, and sometimes they want to put their kids in our Christian school, and they'll say, Pastor Butts, let me tell you why I can't send my daughter back over there. Because there's a class of 25 kids, and two of these boys have been watching what their daddy watches, and they came in in kindergarten, and they were trying it out on my daughter. that make you sick? How would you like to be the daddy? But it's just another five-year-old. You'd like to go take that daddy in that home and say, how are you letting your sons and your daughters watch and participate in that kind of stuff? That's way over here. Why are we doing it? Remember a moment ago I said, I just get up in the morning, I clean my life up, and I'm just getting on, and I'm just doing my work and I'm at my station, and boy, the devil makes sure what pops up. I didn't, what did I punch? I didn't mean to punch that. You know, the, the other day, my wife and I were talking in our house, and we were having good conversation about stuff, and all of a sudden, we have Alexa, she answered. 
I have no idea how she got in the conversation. She just popped in. We must have said something that sounded like something for her, and she just kicked in. You say, well, Pastor, you need to get rid of it. I probably agree with you, okay? Alexa might be dangerous with our, our, our big brother society, all right? But that's the way sin is. You're just walking along, conversating. Boom! It pops into your life just like that. And it isn't that interesting, 2,000 years ago, what was the issue? To abstain from pornea. They didn't even have the internet, but they had evil. They had sexual evil. And it's always been in every generation that when you talk the basic lust in a person's heart, we can call it fleshly lust, animal lust, sexual lust. I don't care what you call it. It's there. It's strong. And when it's not put in a context of holiness, it can take us right into a garbage pit in our life. And the Lord says it is necessary that we take it through the examination of purification and sanctification. This is the will of God. It is not God's will that we be walking in that category. And can I say to you just as boldly as I can say, if you're troubled in that area, it is necessary that you figure out how to get unhooked. It's necessary for holiness. You'll never be a powerful Christian in prayer. You'll never be a great soul winner. You'll never be a person that God can bless and use to, to do his work until you deal with this area. And we are pretty good at putting a pretty white sepulcher over it. The other day I was showing around somebody, I can't remember, showing them the buildings, and we came to the little the room that we have built to store tables and the rest in, and in the corner there was a box. I was showing them, and they said, what's that box? I said, it's just built as a cover. You can slide it back, and it covers all these dirty little pipes, go down to a drain, and I don't know why they did it that way. It's really a dumb design, but we had to build a box to cover it so it would just be, and, you know, we protect it. Isn't that what we do sometimes with our sin? We just cover a little box to protect our little pet sin that nobody knows about it. Let me gain the effort of this verse for you a little bit again. Let's just sort of gain the strength of it. He says this, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from pornea. This is the will of God. Christians, to me, that's a pretty strong, pretty strong thing. And until we as Christians start owning up to this, we're going to stay guilty, joyless, convicted, powerless. And God surely won't say, well done. He won't. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. God says it's our job not only to have been instructed in the past, but to learn more as we go on. When I was a child, I walked and taught like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things fleshy things, the immature things in my life. And Christians, it is necessary if you're going to grow in the Lord that you learn more and more how to walk in sanctification and honor. Look at verse 5. Not in the lust of concupiscence. Boy, I, I've read that over the years. I, I always have to go get the... I what is concupiscence? You know what it means? Your filthy, rotten passions. Your lust. And so you put that together, not in the lust of your dirty, rotten passions. Not, let's put it, the word lust there is, I am not supposed to follow my old nature's passion towards my garbage pit feelings. Not in that walk. Not in the lust of, not in the lust of, 
trash and garbage. Even as the Gentiles, which know not God. Remember how I started my message? Does the unsaved people, do they, do they walk towards the lust of concupiscence? Do they walk in that direction? And gladly so? Braggingly so? Yes. But we are to learn how to sanctify ourselves and to walk more and more to please God. And there are some this morning, I have no doubt in my heart that you've been battling, you've been dealing with this, you've heard messages on it, you've wanted to respond on it, but you've allowed it to stay in your life. God can't bless you until you deal with it. I don't care who you are. God is not a respecter of persons. We all come before the, uh, the cross. It's an equal level. We get saved the same way. And when we stand before God, we are judged equally as well. God doesn't give preachers a bye. God doesn't give deacons a bye. God doesn't give Sunday school teachers a bye. God doesn't give big check putters in us a bye. We all stand there the same way to be judged by holiness. What is holiness? Well, in the book of Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we see God high and lifted up. When I was younger, I used to hear that expression, God is high and lifted up. You know what that means? Even in heaven, God is so holy that he is still removed even from the other inhabitants in heaven. He's high and lifted up. There's nothing that approaches God unless it's perfect. And here I come in the lust of my concupiscence and my pornea and all the rest. Of it. Dear God, I pray you'd help me to, to win souls and to teach this lesson and preach well. And God says, what? You have received near better than this. Don't you understand anything yet? My will is your sanctification. How does this fly today? Do you remember I talked about the old Pentecostals? Can I talk to you about new Pentecostals? The new Pentecostal movement is what you see on the TV most of the time. They come on with their eyelashes going like that. Makeup so thick that um, it's all the rest. And they talk about being on yachts and all the rest. And what a filthy thing that happened recently to a Bible college president. If you missed it, you need to look it up. I'm not going to call his name out for embarrassment for him. He put a picture online that he thought was pretty. He had his pants unzipped to here. And a lady beside him had hers unzipped. It was supposed to be a spoof on her being supposedly pregnant, and he couldn't fit in his pants. It was his wife's secretary, and he's holding up a glass with some dark liquid in it and saying, look at us and put that online, can you imagine, as the president of your favorite Bible college, whatever one you want to make it, they ask him to step down. Do you think he should have? Absolutely. What kind of example is that to the rest of the world? He needs to learn how to possess his vessel in honor and sanctification. Do we make mistakes? When I read for the last week is that controversy before he, he, he kept making excuse after excuse after excuse, and he said, this, this is his final thing, my bad. Does that sound like repentance to you? Oh, I have my pants zipped on, my bad. Oh, I put it online for everybody to see, my bad. Sanctification and honor? Christians, we need to stop and think that we serve a holy God. And I can say without any hesitation and doubt, I know by the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul tells us that this is the will of God. And that he exhorts us, it is necessary that you ought to learn more and more how you ought to walk. So should we be growing in sanctification? Should we be seeking it? I don't have the time to preach rest. We'll finish this. But let me tell you what he does say this. A person that doesn't receive that shows something wrong inside here.
So I don't need a, man, this church is too narrow for me. Too narrow for holiness? Think what you're saying. That church just wants you to live so right. They want you to live holy. I don't need to go to a church like that. What, what kind of church do you want to go to? What would you expect? Preacher get up and say, I, when I, my mom almost died when I was a freshman in college. I came home. I was sitting in the waiting room. Just, oh, I just I shouldn't make it. And there was another person in, in, in the emergency. And he was sitting there, and his preacher came. It was a Catholic priest. And he's sitting there, and he's, here, want a cigarette? What? He said, I'll tell you what, let's go get a beer. I said, man, I never heard anything like that in my life. He was his preacher. Can you imagine, hey, Miguel, let's go out and I got some cigarettes. You ever tried these cigarettes? Let's go smoke. I'll take them out. We'll go, do you like, what kind of beer do I, uh, Lone Star? I don't know what the names of them are, okay, okay. Pabst Blue Ribbon, I don't know. <laughs> He's not, I don't like any of those. I like women, okay. <laughs> Could you imagine a preacher? Can you imagine a deacon? Can you imagine a Sunday school teacher? Can you imagine you? Can you imagine what your friends, when they see in our life a lack of holiness, how they view our Savior and our Christian walk? I tell you, the world may not be saved, but they know holiness when they see it. They know a Pharisee when they see it. They know a white sepulcher when they see it. And they know the real deal when they see it. I feel like I just got warmed up and it's time to end. Let's bow our heads, please. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would lay on our hearts a desire for cleanness, holiness, sanctification, that we would receive near even this teaching, that even the more mature of us would want to grow more even than we are, that our, our call to holiness would just ring in our hearts towards the Savior. Oh, Lord, help me. Be with us as we close. Help us to be honest, to search our hearts. In Jesus' name.